Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast, the podcast for biomedical engineering students and recent grads kicking off the job search process. I'm Allie, and I'm joined by Grace. Hey everyone, I'm Grace, and this week we're joined by Sydney Cheek. Sydney is a UNC BME 19 alum and is currently a Clinical and Regulatory Development Program Associate at Edwards Life Sciences in Irvine, California. Edwards Life Sciences primarily manufactures heart valves, a class three medical device, which requires extreme care in design and manufacturing, as well as clinical trials. Today, we'll be chatting about Sydney's experiences with managing clinical trials and supporting international regulatory affairs. Welcome, Sydney. We're super excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. So what does, what does Edwards Life Sciences do? Can you give us a little bit of a background on this company? Yes, Edwards is a medical device company. We make heart valves exclusively and also hemodynamic monitoring systems. We're moving into that space a little bit, but our bread and butter is hand-sewn heart valves. And our credo is that patients are our life's work and life is now. So we try to have a patient focus to everything that we do, which is why we spend, I think, like 40% of our revenue on clinical research and innovation, which is apparently quite large for a medical device company. So we really try to make sure that we're staying ahead of the edge and giving patients the best possible treatments for their heart diseases. That's so cool. So you said they're all of them are hand-sewn? Yeah. So we make the valves from pig pericardium, which we also raise on site at our, I'm at the headquarters in Irvine and we have another um, manufacturing location in Draper, Utah, and another one in um, Costa Rica. And we have a couple outside of the U.S. in Ireland and Israel and a bunch of places, but in manufacturing plants, essentially, yeah. They sew the valves and then on at the headquarters in Irvine is where we essentially grow or I guess help the pigs live until they don't anymore. Yeah. So when you talk about research and development, what kind of things is your company looking into? Is it, is it expanding on the heart valves thing or is it, are they looking into like branching into new areas? Yeah. Our CEO is super adamant about never branching into any other areas. Um, he's super passionate about heart valve specifically. Um, I'm really not sure what drives this really intense passion, but he is not interested in anything else ever at all. So we're looking currently, uh, I'm not involved, I'm in um, regulatory affairs right now. So I'm not really involved in any of the research at this point, Mm -hmm. but the projects that I have worked cross-functionally with, um, we're doing a little bit of AI in our um, monitoring system. So they're trying to detect pain via nociception before the actual pain occurs to the patients. Mm. And we're hoping that 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 could technically be used outside of heart surgery for any any surgery that I guess the hospital buys the monitoring system for. Um, They're also just innovating our valves. I think we're on like the third or fourth iteration of a couple of our valves that are older. We have transcatheter heart valves is like the new thing now where um, they insert the valve through a catheter in your transfemoral valve, I mean, um, vein. Mm -hmm. And then you're in and out in, I think 48 hours is the total post-op and pre-op and including operational time, all of it. 
Oh, wow. Um, and so, quick. yeah, it's super quick. I just left clinical affairs, my previous rotation, and we were, I was on a pivotal study for one of the um, transcatheter mitral valves that we're working on getting to the U.S. market. It's currently available in Europe. What was the timeline like for patient recovery historically? So we started out doing surgical valves, which is like open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And so that could be anywhere depending on your age and right. any of your pre-existing conditions. So that range anywhere, like the shortest time I think was a week post-op. Mm-hmm. And then, then there was more long-term effects to like up to having your chest wrenched apart and the valves sure. were small. <laughs> um, and those valves were, um, we do more valve and valve with the surgical valves. So that required a surgery. I think it was like eight to 12 years out. You would need a second surgery, like a follow-up valve and valve procedure, which we're now getting indication approval for having a transcatheter valve inside of a surgical valve. So you don't have to go through the surgical valve procedure a second time. So that's really good. Considering if you had to have open heart surgery, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, they've decreased the time dramatically, which is obviously good for patients. Yeah, no, it's, totally. it's, it's a really interesting product. Um, can almost sympathize with your CEO's uh, laser focus on heart valves. Cause they're just, you know, the liability with the product is immense and it's so complex and it's so um, life critical. He's really focused on like the people who, I guess um, aortic stenosis can be really hard to diagnose. Mm -hmm. And we're working on a really huge marketing campaign that's been going on for I think three years now. They're aiming to help identify and diagnose 20 million people with aortic stenosis earlier than they are now so that they can get treated, whether with one of our valves or one of the lesser quality valves from any of the other two companies, which is not (laughs) a lot of valves. I mean, not a lot of companies are in that space. So it's not about the money, he says, for us. It's just about the fact that not a lot of people are treating this population of people. So the more people that we can help detect would be better for everyone. Sure. Yeah. It sounds very mission driven for sure. So I'm, I'm really excited about your program. Um, you're an associate in the clinical and regulatory development program. I'm imagining, uh, they're trying to develop their next stage of clinical and regulatory leaders within their company by growing, um, young talent. And I, I know, uh, from, from just our quick conversation before that you have three rotations. So it'd be great to hear a little bit more from your perspective, like what the program's about, and then maybe some of your experiences in your rotations. Yeah. Great timing. Actually today was our, we have a group action learning project, each cohort where we present to the executive leaders um, ideas for how the program could be improved. And we just had that presentation today. So we're always innovating every space of Edwards. always innovating, but essentially our program is for two is a two year contract where you rotate three times for a duration of nine, eight and seven months. And then at the end of rollout, it's ideal that you would choose one of the previous rotations, but if you want to leverage your experience into a different space, um, then they welcome mm-hmm. that as well. And we have four different business units that you could work in. And essentially our different business units focus on different areas of the heart and they function kind of like small startups, like the culture is different. 
the way that they do things is different. The way that they run the trials is different. The size of the trials are different. So it's a completely, completely different experience wherever you go. And you're required to go to, like you can't repeat business units during the program. So you're required to kind of spread out and get a, a breath, I guess, of the whole company mm-hmm. as much as you can. And then um, we're required to do one clinical rotation and one regulatory. And then the third one, you can choose whichever one you liked best. And so my first, the first rotation is, is given to you based on business need. And so I was put into the transcatheter and mitrid and mitral and tricuspid therapies business unit for my clinical rotation. So I was um, um, in working in clinical trial management, which is essentially, in my opinion, like the quality of the clinical space. They kind of oversee the whole trial. They communicate with the sites we set up um, the trial with the sites, we train the sites, and then we, fo- we we function as a conduit between the site and the company during the duration of the trial. Mm-hmm. And then trial management also conducts the early feasibility studies and then works with engineering during that and works with R&D during the early feasibility. And then when we work, move to pivotal trials, which is what I was a part of the trial at the pivotal stage, then we work with hospitals and universities to enroll patients and meet the quota of our study and then collect the data for the FDA and clean it and make sure it's good to go for any audits. Also for the end of our trial, when we submit the data um, and our trial that I was working on has a duration of five years. And so we follow patients for five years and then we had a crossover section. So I won't be a part of any of that because I've already left that team and gone to a new team in my right. rotation. But that trial will be going on for five to seven years two sentence overview what was that trial focusing on yeah so basically it was just trying to get it was trying to get a ce mark for one of our transcatheter tricuspid valves and then there's a mitral one that was going on in parallel different different sites though okay yeah we're we're trying to enroll 825 patients at 75 different sites and so after you identify the sites we're just trying to like do what you can to get people enrolled the pivotal study is just getting people who basically have no other option for a therapy. So either you can just do what they've been doing, which is nothing and kind of just like changing your diet, hoping for the best or mm-hmm. rolling in the trial. So it's kind of a win-win for everyone. Obviously there's small risk involved with being involved in a trial, but it's better than what people are offering you, which is unfortunately nothing at this time. So hopefully once we get approved, then more people will have access to that therapy. That's awesome. And that sounds like a really um, complex project to be managing. So that's a really great first experience. Um, And then what was your second? I currently am in my second when I started in January. So I'm pretty fresh, but I'm working in international regulatory affairs. Um, So basically we are helping make sure that any changes that we're making domestically won't impact the availability of sales in other countries. And if it will, trying to work with them to make sure that you know changes are done in concurrency with registering the valves in other countries and helping provide all the clinical data and engineering data that they need to have make those submissions. And so have you picked a third rotation yet? I know you're like, you just got into this one, but I don't know I how far out. Haven't. Okay. So it's TBD. So that's cool. Yes. It's TBD. I'm just feeling out everyone. I mean, yeah, you've, it's fresh. And then second rotation, you got to see how this one goes before you can pick a third. I just didn't know how early you got to pick that. So that's cool. So yeah, it's about a month out. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Ellie. 
Yeah. So, okay. So based on your experiences so far, like take into account everything you've learned in these two experiences so far, which sounds like a lot. And then, um, put yourself back in your shoes of you as a junior or senior in the BME (laughs) program. How would you explain How would you explain? Yeah, right. No, thanks. I'm good. (laughs) Stressful times. How would you explain um, clinical and regulatory business units um, in medical device companies to to somebody at that level? And me, because I don't really know. (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah, that's kind of just why I joined because I didn't know. I was like, well, I I should just try. Yeah. But that's a good question. Um, I would say... Clinical is super diverse. There's like a billion different things you could be doing. So I guess specifically at Edwards, I guess I can't speak for everyone else. I never worked anywhere else, but I would say it is um, doing research on people, mm-hmm. aka patients, um, so that you can substantiate whatever new medical innovation you're trying to um, sell in the US and in Europe. And then I would say regulatory affairs are the people who help you um, put together the documentation necessary to communicate to regulatory bodies why your device is safe and effective to be sold in the US and Europe. Yeah, so I would say regulatory like translates the data and condenses it down and clinical collects the data. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So going back a little bit, I know you're in your second rotation at, in this program, but this is not, this was not your first position at the company. Um, according to your LinkedIn, you were an MDR quality intern um, before you joined the company, before you became, you, you did an FTE in the rotational program. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that internship and yeah. how it may have helped you settle into your current rotational program? Yes. Edwards is a super relationship-based company. That's what, that's what they love to say. We love networking, AKA you have to find your in with that place. And interning was definitely my in. Our rotational programs, unfortunately, don't hire people outside of internships anymore. So that's kind of like the pipeline that Edwards mm. likes to grasp people from. So my internship, I worked in quality engineering. I was not even in clinical or regulatory, which is another great thing about Edwards that I actually really do like. And about being at the headquarters is that people of all different fields are at the headquarters and they're not super far away. Edwards actually owns an entire block of the with the location that we're at. So you have to walk quite a bit to get to the other people, but they are there <laughs> and they are within walking distance. Um, and so we always say, wear your walking shoes to work. If you want to look cute, you're not going to do a whole bunch of networking. <laughs> Although that is not true. I did look super cute and I did get a lot of networking in. So if Don't anybody you. has to tell you that, you. not true. You can always, <laughs> you can always do what you want. But um, yeah, I think interning helped me to see that I don't necessarily want to do quality forever or ever again, but I learned a ton about the new medical device regulation, which is what NDR stands for, that Europe is now imposing because they don't think the FDA is strict enough. I learned uh, that's a new and coming thing that the deadline got pushed back because of COVID. So a lot of people are grateful for the opportunity to keep selling their devices for a little bit longer. But I think learning that information ahead of when everybody was like rushing, rushing to get everything submitted, it was really useful. And if I chose not to go back to Edwards, it would have been good 
to leverage at other companies that I already know a lot about the regulations and I've you know, done some documentation for Edwards to get those documents switched over to the new regula regulatory um, qualification. So I would say that was really useful if I wanted to leave. And then within Edwards, it was useful to um, learn about the regular, I mean, the rotational development program. They presented them all to interns and they treated us like we were hot commodities instead of like some companies treat us, treat interns as like little people that just do small tasks. But so, yeah, um, the, the fact work. that Edwards yeah. kind of presented us with th these opportunities to join the, the rotational programs and tried to sell it to us made me feel like they thought I was important. And so I wanted to go back and learn more about clinical and regulatory since I hadn't learned or done anything about with that in the past. I see. That's cool though, that you got to, I mean, that's, that's like relevant current stuff that you, that you were working in as an intern, like, yeah, even if you hadn't done the rotational program out of that, that would have been incredibly valuable to other companies, um, yep. for, for medical devices. What skills do you think are really core to the roles you've had in your program? Um, and then maybe, you know, what's, what skills do you exhibit every day that you think really like put you ahead of the game? Um, and then also what type of person would like to, yeah. Like what type of person would like to follow in the same path as you? Like what would their interests be and their strengths be? Um, to be suited one. for the path you're in. I hope that was a cohesive question. <laughs> that was a good one. I would say, okay, I'll start backwards. Yes. Um, Edwards makes all the interns do the Clifton Strength Finders assessment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with it, mm -hmm. but they love that assessment. And so we all did that. And it was at that time that I first started to notice, like we, the intern class was, I think like 800, 180 people. There's a ton of people. And they put us all like in this room and we were going over our assessments and they did the like, if you got this in over here, if you got this in over here. And I noticed that I was getting a lot of the strengths that like the other people in my fellow engineering little group weren't getting. Mm. And so I was like, that's super interesting. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means I chose the wrong path. And I talked to some yeah. higher ups about it and they were like, no, I think that means that you've gained a lot of skills in the path that you're on but you have natural skill sets for something else. So you can continue down up the path that you're on and not necessarily use your natural skill sets at work, or you can switch and do something that you feel like you'd be naturally really good at. And then also have your skill sets that you've worked to earn and to learn to lean on, and then um, try to focus your skill sets on things that you feel like you would naturally excel at, which is not something that I had thought of in the past. Mm -hmm. It was like, whoa, I never thought about doing something that you're naturally good at in order to be better than other people without having to like do a lot of extra stuff. And so then I talked to some people about like having good personal, personable skills, being able to communicate, work in teams, all that stuff that, that they ask you, I feel like in behavioral interviews are useful for jobs when you're gonna actually be communicating with external partners. So like in the clinical space, working with doctors and working with patients and working with the nurses that are collecting the clinical data, being able to relate to them and get them to trust you and get them to want to help you with the data and to try to convince them. I've been on a couple of calls with a couple of sites that during remote monitoring didn't really 
want to remote monitor. They didn't want to upload the data so that like they didn't want to scan it all. It was a lot of work. And we had to, you have to like work with people to try and meet them where they're at kind of a thing, which if that's not necessarily your natural skill set, you might find that really daunting and not be as successful at it as someone else. So I think just figuring out what you're naturally good at and then asking people who do that job what they're naturally good at and then trying to just align that I think would really be beneficial for you and make things a lot easier. I think easier is sometimes good. And I used to think easier was really bad, but easier is sometimes really good and beneficial for your career. What a good lesson to have learned, by the way. (laughs) I just, I want to echo that. Like easier is good. You don't have to be (gasps) killing yourself over something for it to be good. Yeah. You don't, you shouldn't. Probably if you're doing that, maybe reassess. Yeah. And so I'm glad that I did. Um, And so, and so now I would say working in regulatory affairs, a lot of people are engineers that do work in regulatory affairs, which sounded weird when I first started, I thought it was gonna be super boring, but it actually, I think it's kind of a cool skill to where basically if an engineer wants to make a change on whatever, a product or get a new device or make a new process or change a location to a different country, whatever, then they send all the, the ECRs to me and I read them and I have to translate that basically to our foreign affiliates to why we need this change, the background of the change, how it might affect you. And I think being able to understand the changes, like I've seen these documents before, I've done these processes before. So being able to boil that down to what's actually important to other people and how it's gonna impact them, I think is not as difficult for me as if I hadn't seen the information before. So I feel like regulatory affairs is not as boring as people make it seem, or at least made it seem to me. And I think um, leaning on, if you do have engineering background, like leaning on that could be really useful. And if you do like to communicate with people, that could be something that you hadn't thought of and that might be really good for you. And then in clinical, I'm hoping to move into clinical development and work with our screening team and learn a little bit about imaging, which I don't know a lot about now. So whenever I was helping screen patients for some of my sites, I didn't really know what they were talking about and I wasn't really much help. I was kind of just waiting for the imagers to like tell me if the patients were in or not. And I didn't really feel like, I didn't really feel good about not being in the know. So I think if you also like to learn new things and be in the know about different types of things, finding a company that allows you to do that and welcomes you to do that is really important. I spoke up to a couple of people about me feeling that way. And they're like, totally makes sense. I haven't had anybody care about that. But if you do care about that, I will pay for you to take this imaging class. If that's what you want to do, then you can do that. And I was like, well, that's so nice. Thank you. So I think also being in a company where speaking up about your development means something I think is important. And that can be hard to find right off the bat. But I think if you intern there or you spend some time there, you talk to some people there, hopefully they'll tell you the, the real nitty gritty and you'll get the truth about if people are gonna um, invest in your development. And then the type of skills that a person in clinical and regulatory, I think we lump them together because it's pretty similar. Attention to detail is super important, which I thought was like easy until I got there and I started making really small mistakes that had major impacts and you can't really make small mistakes on data you're giving to the FDA or to DECRA because they will rip that up and you don't wanna be responsible for what gets ripped up. So I think taking, taking the steps to really like make sure what you're, what you're writing, what you're saying is what you're trying to say and making sure that it's accurately reflecting what you're trying to say. And um, good writing skills is important for clinical and regulatory. I guess like, I think Devin really cracked this into our schools when you're like 
taking down notes in your notebook, like making sure you mark through things and your initial things like GDP is really important. Good documentation practices is really important. Being able to keep that in mind when you're working, I think is good. And any other skills? I think being a go-getter, obviously that helps anyone in any career, but I think in a rotational program, it helps a lot because they give you the opportunity to be there and they give you the job, the task at hand, but then it's up to you, I guess, to figure out new things you want to do or like propel your career in the direction that you want it to go. And thusly, if you're doing something that you want to do, you're going to excel at it faster and better than other people. And so all of that will help you in the long run, propelling yourself again, faster and not so, not as hard as it could have been if you didn't. I think. Yeah. I think also, I think like something you kind of indicated, maybe didn't say explicitly though, is, um, like I would, I would consider you to be someone who is a very big, like self-advocate of like, I would like to know more about this. I don't like being not in the know and just like asking to like for that information or to be considered for a role or, or whatever, just like advocating for, for yourself, because it's not that people are trying to like gatekeep it from you necessarily, but they may not just think about offering you that position or that opportunity, whatever. Um, and so kind of along the same lines of like being a go-getter is remembering to be your own self-advocate because you can progress your career further than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that like you, you know, people are, people are willing to give you opportunities, but like, they're not going to, they come up with it themselves. You have to, you have to ask for it and, and push for yourself kind of a thing. So that's, that's good. And I think like a rotational program definitely lends well to that, that kind of, um, skill set for it. Mm -hmm. So I know you're in the second rotation and you haven't picked your third yet, but, um, I think you mentioned earlier in, in this is that once you pick a third, like ultimately the idea is to place yourself back at one of those. Um, is that something that you consider for yourself for a future move or what are, what's kind of your ideas for after you finish up this rotation and this rotational program? So we, my rotation, the clinical and regulatory rotation is one of the newer ones at Edwards. The engineering one is the oldest and they have an international rotation built in and we don't have that yet. And our first international person actually just left like a couple of weeks ago. So she is trailblazing my opportunity to book it to another country. And that is high on my radar. If I can follow in her footsteps, we'll see if that works. And if, and she's in Switzerland, so that's oh, where I would be going, but. Oh, Swiss med is no joke. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're trying to follow her, get in her plane, get in her bag all the yeah. way. So if that's possible, if not, um, I actually am not looking to repeat any of these. It was great. And I'm glad that I learned all that I did. I think having an overview of how clinical trials were managed will help me a lot in other roles that I have interviewed managers about. However, I think I would like to be more in the clinical development space. Um, those people have to have engineering degrees and a lot of people at Edwards want to work in that space but you have like they they force you to either go back to school for a master's or whatever to have those jobs which I already have that so I feel like I should at least try mm -hmm. um, to see what that's about and um, those roles typically involve a little bit more travel like we send a ClinDev um, representative to all of our trial cases 
So every case has a marketing specialist um, to help sell the device to more people, and then a clinical development specialist to take notes and take that information back for further iterations. And so I think I would prefer to be doing that, although I can't say for sure since I've never done it. But um, if I can get into one of those roles for my third rotation, then I will probably like to return to that. But if I can get my hands on that ticket to Switzerland, then I'm out of here and I will try ClinDev when I go permanent. I like that you have the opportunity to travel a little bit if that is something that you want to do. I think mm -hmm. a lot of young professionals want to travel and maybe mm -hmm. depending on their role, they don't feel like they can. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good opportunity and that's really exciting for, for you. And also like learning development, right? Like, you know, good, good information, no wasted rotations, but it's just as important to find out what you don't want to do long-term uh, as it is finding out what you do want to do long-term. So absolutely. Um, I wanted to tack on one last question, if you don't mind, um, just for folks listening, let's say they can't find um, another clinical regulatory rotational development program like you're in that helps them get exposure to the different types of roles. What are some role titles um, that would kind of be doing the same things as you're doing in your rotational program? Like what are a couple entry level role titles? For folks interested in this career path that's a good question like outside of clinical reg or still inside clinical? in clinical reg just not like your rotational program maybe at your company and other companies like what are these yeah. role types called um i think a general like a clinical i mean a, a regulatory regulatory affairs specialist is like a general term that a lot mm -hmm. of medical device companies have so and there's different levels obviously depending on the company of that our entry level is just associate, but you can, you know, call it whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's pretty universal. I think um, being a monitor, um, I think they pretty much call it monitoring across the board. I could be wrong, but those are people who kind of just go to the cases and go to our sites and make sure the data is being collected correctly. If there's any questions, they work with the site to make sure that's going well. And that you don't really need, there's no qualifications necessarily to do that. And also I think a lot of jobs they have these qualifications, but they will always teach you what you need to know. So if you don't feel like you have them, you should still apply and you should still ask people who are there because you can still probably do the work. It's just getting someone to believe you, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, I think we have a lot of people that were entry level as a clinical, oh, a CRA, a clinical research associate. Okay. Those are a lot of places. Um, you can be a CRA at a site, like at a hospital and help just collect the data. You can do like a couple of measurements, I guess, depends on the trial. If it's a pharma trial, you might not be able to collect that, but a couple of our data collection measurements you could do without being a doctor or a nurse. Mm -hmm. So those people would do those, um, and then fill out the patient questionnaires, like making sure that, that they know their rights and everything you would be doing that work. So if you wanted to be interacting with patients, that's a really entry-level position that could be good to get your foot in the door. Um, otherwise, I think those are the pretty much the easiest ones and the broadest ones. And then I think just getting in somewhere can really be a good first step, even if you're not like crazy about the work, which I'm really grateful to have this program because I wasn't necessarily crazy about my first rotation. And if I had been permanent, then that would have been it for a minute, but I got to piece out of that. So I think it's really good sometimes to get your foot in the door and then you can just advocate for yourself to navigate wherever else you want to go. 
So I, I would say don't be scared to do that if you have to. Yeah, that's a great tip. Thanks for that. Yeah, definitely. And thank you again for joining us this week. Um, I know it's an hour of your time and you just had an exam earlier today. I, she's taking OCHEM, so go her. Um, <laughs> that is not a joke of a class. Uh, I'm so glad that you found a company that will help nurture and, and develop your, your skills and everything. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, this week. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Apply to Edwards. It's awesome. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.